0: The following message is brought to you by the Teaching and Preaching Ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Second Corinthians chapter number 5, as Pastor just said in the video, we have the privilege of hearing from Brother Wesley Goldsboro, bring the Word of God to us this morning, and he'll be here in just a minute. But first, stand with me, if you would, as we read 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Thanks so much for coming to worship with us this morning, as Pastor also said in the video, he'll be back with us next week, so we'll definitely all want to be here when he gets back. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, beginning in verse number 18, "...and all things are of God, who hath reconciled to us himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto him, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ." As though God did did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Let's focus in on verse number 21 this morning. This is where Wesley will be preaching from. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him.
1: All right, good morning. All right, let's start this service off with honesty. How many of you saw that video where Pastor said he was gone for one more week and I was going to be preaching and you were disappointed because you wanted to hear Pastor? Put your hands up. How many? Honestly. Come on, honestly. Okay, there's a hand right. Kurt, thank you. That's my brother. Um, Appreciate that. Um, I'll be honest, I would rather hear Pastor than myself too, uh, but I do count it a great privilege to be here with you this morning. Super excited about what God has put on my heart. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Wesley, and uh, my wife Rachel and I moved here to Fresno from Michigan Just over a year and a half ago And God just through certain circumstances led us to this place Uh, There's no doubt in my mind. Just love it here. Love being a part of the church Being involved in a connection group and I know many of you as my friends And uh, just super excited to be a part of this church Um, And God gave us a little son named Dylan. He's uh, just turned seven months and I uh, sure love him. He's a great gift from God. I appreciate him. And, uh, but uh, earlier this month, we took a trip to Florida, flew down there. And it was our, over our anniversary, and also we had a family uh, wedding. And so we were part of that. We took some time to ourselves, though. Um, went to SeaWorld and went to a few of the Disney parks there, which was a lot of fun. Um, took Dylan to SeaWorld, and uh, he really enjoyed that. That was a, a ton of fun. Um, but I flew back because so I had to get back to work. And Rachel is still down there in Florida spending a little bit, little bit more time with her family. Her and Dylan are down there. And so I've been home now by myself being a bachelor for about a week and a half. And I'm telling you, the frozen pizzas are running low. Um, it is rough, uh, but I'm making it through. But honestly, the weirdest things have been happening since uh, Rachel has been gone. No joke, like bizarre. Like, for instance, I'll put dirty dishes in the sink and the next day they're still there. It's like, I don't, I have no idea. Same thing with the laundry. I put it in the hamper. Normally, somehow it gets cleaned in my drawer. I have no idea what's going on. Um, But honestly, uh, no, I'm just kidding there. But I'm so looking forward to having Rachel and my son back. Love them so much. Miss them. They're actually coming back tomorrow night. So you pray for me one more night. Um, But uh, until then, Taco Bell is seeing me through. So, um, I want to talk about self-righteousness. And the gospel—that's a simple title of the message. Self-righteousness and the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ has got to be the most beautiful thing that there is. Just—just the beauty of it has hit me so deeply recently. Specifically, two aspects of the gospel. First of all, His mercy, and secondly, His grace. Think about the mercy of God. The mercy of God is that aspect of the gospel where God takes our sin and the punishment that our sin deserves, and he puts that on Christ. That's the mercy of God. Our sin deserves the wrath of God and the punishment of God, but Jesus died in our place. He put that entirely all upon Christ. That's the mercy of God. Think about how Jesus was forsaken by his father on the cross. Remember, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was literally forsaken by his father because our sin was put on him. And the beauty is, now we as believers in Christ will never be forsaken because Jesus was forsaken in our place. He literally took our hell for us. That's his mercy. But then there's also his grace. The grace means that his grace means that the righteousness of Christ is given to us. Sinners, undeserving, deserving of God's wrath, but instead he gives our wrath to Jesus and then gives Jesus' righteousness to us. That's the gospel, his mercy, and his grace. He imputes his righteousness to us as a gift. I can't think of a single verse that embodies the beauty of of these two aspects of the gospel better than 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, that's God, made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. So Jesus knew no sin. He was perfect. But he made him to be sin for us. That's his mercy. But it doesn't stop there. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's his grace. He gives us his righteousness as a gift. I know that we're not supposed to tamper with the Bible or edit it in any way. It's kind of blasphemous. But if I could just insert one thing at the end of that verse, I would put hashtag boom. Because that is, that is the gospel. That's awesome. His mercy and his grace just right there. It's beautiful. But Let's be honest. As beautiful as the gospel is, his mercy, his grace, there's still a lot of people who know about it, but they choose not to believe it. Now, why would that be? There's, there's a lot of answers we could give to that question. But I just want to focus on one. And that is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Point number one in your outline. Self-righteousness keeps us from salvation. What is self-righteousness? Uh, I'll give you a couple definitions, but the first one is this. Self-righteousness is the false belief that my good works give me favor with God and make me superior to to others. They gave me favor with God and make me superior to others. Let's look at a parable that Jesus told in Luke 18. Luke chapter number 18, verses 9 through 14. We should have this on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. Luke chapter uh, 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus is giving a parable that's just a story to illustrate a truth, and it tells us exactly who he's talking to. Look at the first verse there, uh, verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Does that sound like our definition of self-righteous? So, uh, and then he gets into the story here. Two men went into the temple to pray. The one, a Pharisee. A Pharisee is just a Jewish religious leader in those times. And the other, a publican. What's a publican? A publican is a tax collector. This is someone that would have been employed by the Romans to collect taxes from the Jews, and the Jews hated them, because they hated the Romans, and they hated these tax collectors, and often, even above that, these tax collectors were guilty of extortion. They would take more money than they were supposed to for their own gain. So these were bad guys. So Jesus is contrasting these two men. They both go into the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. So here's the Pharisee's prayer. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Can we just stop right there? Is this not the most obnoxious prayer you've ever heard in your life? I mean, basically he's like, God, I'm awesome. I mean, that's his prayer to God. Look at me. Look at what I've done. In fact, I'm so much better than this guy over here. I don't know if he's praying out loud. That would be so awkward. Thank you that I'm not like this sinner. You know, those poor guys over here like, what? you know, what's going on? So what an obnoxious, prideful prayer. Now let's look at, at the publican, the tax collector. And the publican, standing afar off, would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, literally beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus ends by saying, I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. What's the difference in these two prayers? Why is one justified and the other is not? Well, the Pharisee's talking to God about his own righteousness, and then the publican realizes that as a sinner, he has no righteousness, and therefore deserves the wrath of God upon his life, so he does the only thing he can do. He asks for God's mercy to withhold that punishment that he knows he deserves because he realizes, I'm a sinner. Isn't there something in our human nature that wants to believe that we're good? We want to think, I I know I'm not perfect, but I'm a good person. I think about, this is kind of a silly illustration, how many of you have ever watched that show, Cops? You know what I'm talking about? All right, you know, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do when they come for you? that kind of thing. Yeah, so there's this show where they follow policemen around with a camera while they're arresting people, doing drug busts, all these types of things. And it is it's sad, but it's funny at the same time because they'll pull someone over, they'll walk up, you know, it's late at night, they're shining the light in the window, and this person is just they're high, they're on drugs, they're, you know, there's open beer cans in the car, they've got drugs in their pocket, and the police are just like, "You you're done. You're busted. They drag them out. What are they doing the whole time? Oh, it's not my fault. I, drugs? I don't know where I got these. You know, it's just like, it's so ridiculous. They're caught red-handed, but they're, they're still trying to excuse, make excuses. No, I, I'm, I'm somehow good. And that's, that's silly, but a lot of times we're the same way in a lot more f- sophisticated ways. We want to believe about ourselves that we're good. The truth is, though, apart from Jesus Christ, We are selfish, sinful creatures by nature. And it goes far deeper than our actions. Our very core is sinful. Let me just read a few verses here for you. Romans 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, in the beginning at the Garden of Eden, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Started with Adam, from then on we're sinners. Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as an unclean thing, get this part, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Isn't that crazy? Even the good that we think we have, to God it's a filthy rag, because at our core, we're sinful. Romans 3, 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So what is this Pharisee doing talking about my righteousness and, God, look how good I am? The Bible clearly says, even the good you think you have is a filthy rag to God. And most everyone will readily admit that they're not perfect, but we still somehow want to hold on to our own goodness as being good enough. It's the classic line of thought that says, someday I'm going to stand before God, and I'm hoping that my good outweighs my bad. I know I've done wrong, but hopefully that'll work out somehow. And the truth is, it's, that's not in the Bible. It's just not there. There's no example of us standing before God and him saying, well, I know you kind of screwed up a lot, but, you know, you did good too, so you're in. You know, that just doesn't happen. It's not that way. Instead, we see clear teaching that when you stand before God one day, all that matters is whether or not the righteousness of Christ is applied to your account. That's all that matters. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3, 8 through 9, I love this, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul says, everything I've done in my life, even the good, it's nothing. My only hope is that one day when I stand before God, I will be found in Christ with his righteousness applied to my account. The sad truth is, until we see ourselves as sinners, we will never know Jesus as Savior. And this makes sense when when Jesus said in Luke 5, verse 30 through 32, the scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is saying, those of you who think you're good, I didn't come for you. I came for the ones who know that they're sinners, that they know that they need me. They see themselves as sinners who need a Savior. Listen to this quote. I think we have this on the screens. The rescuing grace of the gospel. Cannot be received and experienced until the weight of the law has crushed our pride and removed our self-sufficiency You can't come to jesus Unless you know you need him What what is that weight of the law? Well, there's many things that could be said But the full weight of the law is summed up when jesus said in matthew 5 48 be ye therefore perfect That's it that's his standard complete perfection This is something we can never do. But I've got good news. That's the whole point. That is the entire point. To quote our pastor when he preached several weeks ago on the Good Samaritan, Jesus' command to be perfect is not a challenge. It's a death sentence. The whole point of it is to show us that we cannot be perfect, and therefore we desperately need Jesus' perfection applied to us. That's our only hope. Galatians 3.24 tells us that, The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. You see, it's never been about us working our way to God. It's never been about that. The symbol of Christianity is not a ladder in which we climb our way to God. No, the symbol of Christianity is the cross where Jesus came down to us and died in our place. Because that's what we needed. That was our only hope. Maybe you're here today, and you sense God's Spirit showing you, maybe for the first time, that you're a sinner and that you need Christ. Today could be an awesome day for you, where you receive that gift of righteousness by just simply praying in faith, believing in the gospel. At the end of our service, we're going to have a prayer and reflection time where you could just take a moment and pray a simple prayer of faith, asking God to save you. So we know that self-righteousness can keep us from salvation, and that's huge. I want to take the rest of our time and talk about point number two. Self-righteousness hinders our sanctification. It hinders our sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the process by which we grow spiritually throughout our lives and become more and more like Jesus Christ. It's the process where we grow. So we start in the gospel— and then from that point on, we are in the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Let me give you a second definition of self-righteousness that would apply to this process of sanctification. Self-righteousness is the sinful and prideful posture that I assume as a result of doing good works in the power of my flesh rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me just say that one more time. Self-righteousness is the sinful and prideful posture that I assume as a result of doing good works in the power of my flesh rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. Self-righteousness isn't just a problem with salvation. It's also a major problem with sanctification. And here's the reason why. We'll look at two verses. Colossians 2, verse 6. Paul tells us, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Our pastor did an amazing uh, series called Help, I Need to Change. Does anyone remember that series from last year? Help, I Need to Change. Awesome. It's online. I recommend it. FresnoChurch.com. Listen to that. It's extremely helpful. And he talked about these, these verses. As ye have therefore received Christ, uh, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. In other words, Paul's saying, the way you got started by believing the gospel and forsaking your own self-righteousness... is the same way you need to live. That's the same process of sanctification. Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. Paul is addressing some Christians who didn't get this. He says, "'This only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh?' He's saying, look, how did you get saved? Was it by what you did or by what Jesus did? Well, of course it's by what Jesus did. So he says, how are you going to grow? How are you going to mature? The same way, by faith, through grace, dependent upon Christ. So what's so bad about our flesh? You know, our own strengths, our own abilities that we have. What's so bad about that? Why can't, okay, we're doing good you're saying that I could do good, possibly, and it would not please God and not last for eternity? How is that even possible? Well, let, let's look at what the Bible has to say about the flesh. Let me just throw three verses at you real quick. Romans 7, 18 says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Romans 8, verse 8. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. How about Jesus in John six sixty It is the Spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing these are strong words used for the flesh and i understand it's kind of a hard concept to even grasp how can the good that i do possibly not please god if i do it just in my own strength this is because our flesh that sinful part of us that remains with us throughout our lives that sinful part of us is not capable of pleasing god it's only capable of producing two things okay So the flesh can produce two things Unrighteousness Which is obvious sin Okay, thou shalt not steal Okay, if I steal That's a sin God has clearly defined that That's unrighteousness That my flesh can produce But also self-righteousness Is something that my flesh can produce These are morally right works But they're done with impure motives Let's look at uh, just one scripture real quick To see an example of this Uh, The book of Acts, chapter number 5, verses 1 through 5. If you want to turn there quickly, you can look at it. But just to give you a a backstory to this chapter, what had happened was um, uh, the church of Jerusalem was experiencing incredible revival. The gospel was just starting to be preached and proclaimed. People were receiving, believing the gospel for salvation, and then God was changing their hearts. It was exciting. They were wanting to serve one another and serve their community. And so what happened was they were literally selling their possessions, bringing it to the church, and saying, use this for whatever needs to be used for. If someone needs help, take the money that I made from selling my stuff and use it to help them. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine own heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And and Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. A great fear came on all them that heard these things. I'll be honest, this is a crazy story. Ananias sells his possession, brings it to the church, but he keeps back part of the price, making everyone think that, oh, I'm giving all of the money that I made to help people. And this so upsets God that he literally kills him. And I can't explain that, but what I see in this is that someone's doing a good work with an impure motive that did not please God. So we see this self-righteousness, this example of self-righteousness. Let me give you a personal illustration, and this is hard. In fact, I didn't even see this in my own life until God showed me recently. But um, my personality, if you know me at all, I am a people pleaser, and I like people to be happy with me. Um, I really value your opinion of me, so be sure to compliment me after the service. Uh, Just kidding. but So that's really important to me, so much that it becomes an idol. I place so much value in what you think of me that I'll, I will be, be very careful to be kind to you and nice to you. I'm generally a nice guy. And so what I find myself doing is to ensure that I maintain my own value and identity in what you think of me, I will show kindness most of the time to other people. But who am I actually serving in my kindness? Hugh or myself? I'm protecting myself. I'm serving myself because I'm working after the flesh. That's just a simple example. I think we have this quote as well on the screen. After salvation, the rags of our own righteousness are just as filthy as they were before we knew Christ. Remember that verse in Isaiah even our righteousnesses are as filthy rags? That's true now, even after you become a believer. Because the flesh is not capable of pleasing God. so important to understand. How do we make sure that what we're doing as believers is pleasing to God and lasting for eternity? Great question. I think Jesus has the answer for us. In John 15, verses 4 through 5, I'll, I'll read them for you. John 15, 4 through 5, Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Listen to this last part. For without me, you can do nothing. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, the word abide simply means to stay somewhere, to dwell, to remain. I'm going to abide at home. That's where I'm going to be. I'm going to stay there Let's compare this passage and this concept of abiding with paul's writings where he says the same way You started the christian life is the same way you live it. You got started by faith and you need to live by faith Don't move away from the gospel. Don't start working in the power of your flesh remain abide You started with jesus. You need to stay in jesus Abide in the gospel. Don't move away from it. Remain there Set up camp, never leave. I love Jude, verse 22. Keep yourselves in the love of God. What a verse. How much of our problems would be solved? How much of our own self-righteousness would go away if we would just keep ourselves in the love of Christ? How do we abide in Christ? We We daily need to come before God, just like we got saved, recognizing that we are nothing, In and of our flesh, in and of ourselves, we have nothing to bring to the table that can please God. We need him to work through us. So we yield ourselves to him. I love Romans 6, verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Do you get that? We're supposed to yield ourselves to God as an instrument of righteousness. Look at this piano, this instrument here. Um, You know, if we were to have a concert here and just an incredible musician was to come and play on this piano, and it was just beautiful, just a wonderful uh, thing to to hear. Man, at the end, we stand up, give him a a standing ovation. You know what we'd be talking about at the end of the service? Would it make sense for us to be like, bro, that piano was awesome. Like that piano, I got to get me one of those pianos. That was incredible. No, we'd be saying that musician, that person who is controlling the instrument, the person who is making the sound come out of the instrument, that's the person who needs the glory. That's the person who deserves the credit for what was happening. So it is with you and I and God. We are literally instruments of righteousness. In and of ourselves, we can't do anything. To please God, we need His Holy Spirit to do it through us. We're instruments. A question that comes to mind when we talk about this is: what, what about our character? What about our discipline? What about the good thing? You know, we can kind of make ourselves do things. You know, we we have that in us to be able to do that. Some more than others. Listen to this quote. I think this will help. Our character and discipline are spiritually beneficial. When they are used to regularly bask in the gospel and preach it to ourselves. But in and of themselves, they cannot produce spiritual fruit. Doesn't this make sense? You say, I- I've got a lot of character. I've got a lot of a discipline. I can make myself, do, make myself do things. That's great. Use it to abide in Christ. Stay in him because that's your source. He's the vine. We are the branches. We cannot bear fruit apart from him. We've got to stay in the gospel. We must continually return to the gospel, because in the gospel, the power to live is found, not in our own strength. Let me just give you some quick things that I jotted down. How do I know if I'm self-righteous? Self-righteousness is one of the most hardest things to see in ourselves. Why? Because we think we're better than everyone else. Um, That's our problem to begin with. So think about these few things. Are your actions consistently driven by character and duty rather than delight and desire? Honestly ask yourself, do I really want to share my faith? Do I really desire to love people who are unlovely? Just, this helped me so much. I just asked myself, do I really want this? Is it my heart's desire? If not, could be an indication that we're becoming self-righteous, not dependent on God to change our heart and give us those desires, but we're just doing it in our own strength. What about this? Do you become discouraged and neglected, or do you feel discouraged and neglected if you don't receive frequent praise and recognition for the things that you do? I, I struggle with this. That's a sign that our service for others is really serving ourselves. I'm serving so that I'll get the praise of men. What about this? Do you have a hard time admitting your sin to other people? Or when you do, it has a nice little bow on it. You know what I mean? We kind of, uh, I'm bad, but I'm going to make it look really, you know, it's not that bad. Self righteousness. Do you tend to think of yourself as more mature than other Christians? Do you get more frustrated at other people's sin than you do at your own sin? This is a big one. How, how many times do we just say, I'm so upset at my own sin? It just frustrates me. I'm upset. God, I need you to work in me. No, what do we do? Yeah, I see them. <laughs> I see their problems. I see their issues. Self-righteousness. I thought I'd end it with this one. If you think you don't have a problem with self-righteousness, you're probably self-righteous. Isn't that the truth? We can't, it's so hard to see in ourselves. God has amazing things in store for your life. He wants to put his power on display through your life. It's time that we as a church wake up Stop building our own temporary kingdoms of self-righteousness in our own strength and start letting God build, build his eternal kingdom of Christ's righteousness through us. That's the answer. Guys, you can go ahead and queue up that video that I have there. Um, when we were down at SeaWorld, uh, Rachel and I took Dylan to uh, SeaWorld. And it was an awesome time. As we were watching this display of uh, the killer whales you know, Shamu, the Shamu show, it was awesome. Man, we brought him there. He's only seven months old, but still, we were like, man, this is great experience for him. And so then we're watching the show, enjoying it, and then we look over to check out what he's doing. (laughs) (laughs) And he's literally chewing on his shoe. And it's so cute. I mean, he's seven seven months old. I mean, you give the kid a break, you know. But still, that made me think of, isn't that kind of like... (laughs) Us and God. Like God has this awesome thing. Like this is maybe once in a lifetime, a few times in a lifetime. Sea world, the the killer whale show, like that's awesome. And what are we doing? (laughs) We're we're sitting over there chewing on our shoe. And God has so much more for us. It's called the power of the Spirit inside of us, living through us, proclaiming Christ's righteousness to the world, not our righteousness. I close with this. When we move away from the gospel, one of two things will happen. First of all, some people try hard at the Christian life, they fail, and they basically give up. They think, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite, and I know this really isn't my heart to do, so I'm just going to kind of, you know, I'll come to church every once in a while, maybe give the offering, but I'm not really in, because I've tried that. I've tried being really in, and that didn't really work out. So I'm just, just not going to do it. Secondly, we can try hard, succeed, and then become self-righteous. Because it's our own strength. Because it's us, not God through us. Maybe you're here today and you find yourself in one of these two categories. Can I encourage you to return to the gospel? The way we got started is the same way we need to live. Abide in Christ. Keep yourself in his love. Remain in the gospel. Maybe you're here today and you've never believed the gospel to begin with. Today could be an incredible day for you where you see yourself as a sinner and then know Jesus as your Savior.